We've been looking at Luke 15, the last, this is the third week as we wrap it up. And this is what we've seen so far. Jesus eating with known sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, thieves, people like that. The religious leaders are scandalized. They, they, they come to him, how could you do this? Because in their mindset, in their culture, if you have a meal with someone, it's like accepting all about who they are and uh, their whole lifestyle. And for them, that was a compromise. You just didn't do that. In response, Jesus tells them not one, not two, but three stories, none of which address the direct issue of eating with known sinners, all of which address something more basic, more foundational, that is the way these religious leaders see God. And the, the way they think God sees these lost sinners. And Jesus tells about a lost sheep and says this shepherd is just going to chase after that sheep and search after him until he finds him. And, he, and he's talking about God. This is what God does. When any one lost sheep is, is lost, God cares so much that he's an all-out search. And if he finds that lost sheep, uh, he is rejoicing. All heaven rejoices about that lost sheep. And then the lost coin, same principles. There is uh, the, the coin matters. There's an all-out search. There's rejoicing when it's found. And there's a great big party because of that. So both of those two stories. And then the third one is a little bit different. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, prodigal son, younger son, uh, insults the father grievously, uh, takes his share of the inheritance, goes to a far country, squanders it in loose living, uh, gets desperate. There's a famine in the land. He runs out of money. He comes to his senses and says, I've got to go back to my father and plead for mercy. The father is longing for his, his son. He's, he's, he's looking down the road day after day. When he sees him, the tears come. The heart beats faster. Uh, he feels nothing but compassion. He hikes up his robe, something that adult men didn't do in that day. And in humility, he races down the stairs and runs towards his son. Smothers him with kisses. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, you think it's something I eat with these guys? It's much bigger than that. I'll run after them. I'll embrace them. I'll, I'll shower them with kisses. I'll drag them into the banquet room, and you bet we'll sit down and party. Because whenever one lost person is found, all heaven rejoices. So what Jesus is doing, and I think the most powerful passage in the Bible on who God is, he is saying, this is the heart of God for every single lost person, including you and me. No matter how much we have failed, no matter how much rebellion, no matter how confused we are, and we're all pretty confused and flawed, God in heaven loves you and welcomes you and, and embraces you and welcomes you home. That is the heart of God. Now, you would think that at this point, after three stories, each one representing these sinners Jesus is eating with, the passage would end. But Jesus doesn't end here. He now tells about another lost son. You see, there's two lost sons. The older brother is also lost in a different way and at a different place, but he's lost just as much. And he represents not the sinners Jesus is eating with, but the religious leaders grumbling about it. 
And so what Jesus does at the end of this passage is he now depicts a story that shows who the religious leaders really are. And if you'll stand, we'll read that last part of Luke 15. Here are the religious leaders and the Pharisees, according to Jesus. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, the servant, said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The Word of God. Please be seated. Okay, this is... uh, The whole passage is telling us the heart of God. And we've already seen three times God's heart towards lost people. People like us who mess up and fail. But now, Jesus is telling God's heart towards self-righteous, judgmental, religious types. And do you know, God cares about them too. Uh, We don't have much use for them after reading about that. But God cares about them also. And Jesus makes that clear in the story. Now, as we look at this last section, the older brother, I just got to remind you, not many of us here are younger brothers anymore. Most of us have come back probably some years back. But it is difficult to stop being a younger brother without becoming an older brother. You know that? Have you noticed that? That there are lots of older brothers in the church. And and so this is a passage really for long-time Christians. So those of you who, like me, who've been believers, followers of Jesus for a while, our great danger is not a younger brother, but condemning the younger brothers with self-righteous, critical, judgmental spirit. And so, uh, I think you're going to find this morning that this, this is a passage that's very relevant to us. It's very relevant to me. Okay, first of all, Jesus is going to paint a picture of that older brother. We see it beginning in verse 28. What's the first thing you see about him? But he was angry. I mean, he comes in from the field. He hears the music and the dancing. He has no idea that his brother comes back. Calls the servant over, finds out. And what's his immediate response? Not tears flowing, overwhelmed with joy, but he is angry. His brother is back, and they're throwing a party for him. He is filled with anger. 
And then he really dishonors his father because he stands out on the porch and won't go in. A great insult. The father has thrown a, a feast for the whole village. I mean, a, a fattened calf would feed a village. And, and all the town is celebrating. The lost son has come home, but not him. He is standing out there looking mean and angry. Won't go in. His father comes out to him in humility. Comes out to him. Is entreating him. Come on in. And, and, and the first thing he says to his father in verse 29, he answered his father, look. Not, oh, esteemed father, not, you know, my, my loving father, not, you know, respectful tone, all, but look. It's kind of like, look, you. I mean, how disrespectful in that mid- Middle Eastern culture for this older brother who is just as lost. Um, he dishonors his father. He, he uh, goes on and says, look, these many years I have served you. There are a couple of words for serve in the New Testament. One's more the kind of everyday serving that we think about. And the other one is more like you're a slave. And this is the word he uses here. Uh, I have slaved for you these many years. And maybe that's the key to the older brother. He doesn't see himself as a son of a loving father, but as a slave of an exacting boss. He's got a slave mentality. So uh, he's angry he, he, he dishonors his father. He's got this slave mentality. I'm just working so hard for you. He is self-righteous because he goes on to, to talk about his brother. and said, I've never, I never disobeyed your command. Well, he's disobeying one right here. And, and uh, you know, in his self-righteous, I've never disobeyed your command. He's uh, ungrateful. He says, you know, uh, you've never given me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. You know, it's not fair. I am being mistreated here. I mean, this is the older brother. And he's uh, he, he certainly, uh, I think this is the, the root issue, he doesn't love his younger brother. You know, if he loved him, he'd be thrilled beyond words that he's back. If he loved him, maybe he would have gone and searched for him in that far country. Uh, that's a story comes out of Vietnam. Some of you served in Vietnam, and I honor you for it. But those of us who, who lived through Vietnam and remember it, there were POWs and MIAs, tragedy. And there's this one family who, whose brother was missing in action. And, and through the official channels, they, they couldn't have any word about this brother. And so uh, the brother in the family who has a missing brother in Vietnam, he gets on a plane, flies to Saigon, and begins searching and searching in dangerous places. Searching so much, in fact, that uh, soldiers on both sides uh, began to refer to him as the brother. That's what a brother does. The searches. That's like, not this brother in a passage. Not the Pharisee brothers. I mean, no love here. He's not happy he's back. He's concerned about his share of the inheritance. He's selfish. He uh, has no use for him. No searching. A failure, an abject failure of love. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is, is, is holding a mirror up to the religious leaders of Israel. Those who are in charge of of, of instructing the people about God and saying, this is you, this is you. You're an older brother. You, you're angry, you're filled with anger. You're self-righteous off the charts. And Jesus often challenged them for their self-righteousness. You think about Luke 18 that we're going to get to in a few, sometime later. Luke 18, uh, where he says, you know, there was a Pharisee and a tax collector, kind of like in our passage, 
And he says the, the Pharisee was just, you know, just, I, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. You know, I fast, I, I, I give, you know, he's just so proud of himself. And, and the tax collector in humility and brokenness just wouldn't even look to heaven. Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, they were self-righteous. And, and they were certainly uh, a critical, judgmental spirit. Uh, towards others, and, and certainly lack of love. I mean, they, uh, if the older brother really sort of disowned his younger brother, doesn't even say, my brother is back. He says, this son of yours is back. You know, certainly that's the way the Pharisees treated the religious outcasts of their day. Wouldn't even have anything to do with them. You know, they just weren't lovers. And uh, they missed the whole thing. And Jesus is saying to them, this is who you are. This is a mirror for who you are. And so Jesus, first of all, telling about the Father, but, but even showing them who they are. Um, church, it's difficult to stop being a younger brother without becoming an older brother. And uh, I doubt any of us are free from some older brother tendencies. Uh, what a contrast um, with some of the reports that we're hearing out of the Middle East. Uh, there was a 10-year-old girl who was a Christian in northern Iraq. And there were hundreds of thousands, you know, the Mosul area, Christians who were uh, run out of that area and had to be refugees. And um, later she somehow was involved with a television interview in the Middle East. And she basically says, you know, I don't understand why this happened, but, but I pray that God would forgive them. And that little statement, I pray that God would forgive these ISIS soldiers who killed many of, you know, her fellow Christians and hundreds of thousands of them had to flee. I pray that God would forgive them. That is not an older brother. That's like the father in the story. Or uh, you remember several weeks ago when 21 Coptic Christians in Egypt had their necks cut? And uh, by ISIS in Libya, and uh, uh, 13 of those 21 apparently came from one village in Egypt. And one of the, uh, there were two brothers who were killed, and, and their brother who lived, who, who was back in the village, also was picked up on an interview. And he basically says this, he says, uh, uh, you know, I pray that, uh, you know, they don't know what they did in their ignorance, and I pray that God would open their eyes. And he, and he prayed that God would save them. And, and then he recounted a conversation with a 60-year-old mother. Okay, feel this with me. She has lost two sons who've had their throats cut by these ISIS soldiers. And, and this is what she said to her son who lived. She said, you know, if, if one of them came to this village, I would welcome them into my home. And I'd pray that God would forgive them. Now, friends, who does that sound like? Does that not sound like Jesus on the cross to you? You know, that is not my human reaction. And it's probably not yours. You know, would you rather see an ISIS soldier, ISIS leader, get killed or get saved? You know, um, there is no love in the heart of an older brother. And there is a heart bursting with love and forgiveness in the heart of Jesus. And the heart of God in heaven. Include love and forgiveness towards us. So that's the Pharisees. That's the religious leaders. Now Jesus goes on. Remember the father in the story. 
represents God. And we've seen that the way he treated his younger brother, but now we're going to see how he treats uh, the older brother, the Pharisees. He's concerned about them too. You notice in verse 29, his father, or verse 28, his father came out and entreated him, an act of humility again, just like he'd gone out to the younger brother. He goes out to the older brother. God will humble himself and reach out to us. He goes out to him. He entreats him. The first thing, he begs him. You know, the son had said, I never disobeyed one of your commands. Well, he's not commanding here. He's begging here. Come on in. Come on in. And when he addresses him, after this angry outburst to his son, what's the first word to his son? Son, you're my son. Child, tender, loving. He doesn't write him off. He loves him. And then he, he says to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. You're not going to lose any of your inheritance. Don't worry about that. All that is mine is yours. I still love you. But then he doesn't back off one bit from completely forgiving and welcoming his younger son back. He's lost and now he's found. Church, that is the heart of God. That is the heart of God. And uh, this morning, as we look at this passage, as we look at the older Christian, the older brother, um, is any of this in you? Are you more like Jesus' heart, uh, reaching out to the to the tax collection centers, or is it more like the older brother being judgmental and critical? Um, it is sad that in our land, for good reasons and bad reasons, that Christians have the, have the reputation of the elder brother. We don't have the reputation of those who are just bursting with humble, compassionate, Christ-like love. We just don't. And, and that is a tragedy. And is not a good witness to the Lord. Um, let me just get, scroll through a few of the characteristics of the older brother. And, and to, to what extent would these characteristics characterize you? And, and I've got to say, too much of it characterizes me. But the, younger, the older brother is full of, ang- full of anger. Lethal emotion. A lot of times justified, but oh, this is righteous anger here. But just full of anger. Angry people. And that poison is just ruining their soul and dripping out around the other people around them, ruining families and marriages. To what extent in your life is there bitterness? Are, are you quick to forgive? Are you a good forgiver? In your marriage, are you a good forgiver? You know that marriage is just a union of two awfully good forgivers, don't you? Are, are you slow to forgive? Are you, uh, you know, self-righteous people aren't good forgivers. They're just too high and mighty. Are you slow to forgive? Are you quick to forgive? Are you an older brother? Are you a father? Full of joy? Or is a smile pretty, pretty rare on your face? You serve God more out of fear or out of love? Do you feel superior to those around you? You feel, feel like that maybe because you know the Bible better or maybe you give more that you're really kind of superior to some of those other Christians? Certainly superior to those non-Christians. Superior to those folks who look differently than you, who vote differently than you. Feel some superiority about that? That's the older brother. How about a sense of, of uh, how about gratitude in your heart? Do you ever feel like, man, I, I deserve more. I deserve better. Uh, an ungrateful spirit, an ungrateful heart. 
What about, are you out searching for lost people like Jesus was? Or are you more like the, old, the older brother, not really pleased when they come back? You're rejoicing when the lost are found? Again, would you rather see an ISIS leader killed or saved? How about a judgmental, critical spirit? Is, is your faith really, if truth be known, is your faith more religion or is it more a love affair? That's kind of the bottom line, isn't it? You know, we talked about that, the difference between religion and gospel, love affair. Here's some of the differences that we've talked about. Religion is my working for God. The gospel is God working for me. He did it all on the cross. He did it all. Religion, I'm on the performance plan. I am on a religious treadmill making sure that I'm good. It's not the gospel. The gospel, I'm on the grace plan. Free gift of God plan. Religion's all about doing, earning. Gospel's all about receiving. Religion, I obey to be accepted. The gospel, I obey because I am accepted. Religion, my faith focuses on rule keeping. Gospel, my faith focuses on Christ, the cross, resurrection. Religion, I serve God out of fear and insecurity. The gospel, I serve God out of grateful joy and love. Religion, I focus on externals. Gospel, I focus on the heart. Religion, I'm concerned with appearances. Gospel, I'm only concerned to please God. Religion, I feel pride or guilt. I feel pride when I keep the rules. I feel guilt when I don't keep the rules. But gospel, I feel neither pride nor guilt. I don't feel guilt because Christ has paid all my sins. I don't feel pride because Christ has paid all my sins. My identity for religion is based on how I measure up. For the gospel, my identity is based on God's love and grace. For religion, I'm filled with insecurity. Does God accept me? Will God accept me? Gospel, I feel secure because God has completely accepted me. Religion, I don't take communion because I'm not perfect. I've sinned a lot. Gospel, I do take communion because I'm not perfect. I've sinned a lot. But I celebrate my Savior. Here's the bottom line. Religion, I see God as harsh. The gospel, I see God as gracious. Church, what do you got? You got religion or do you have gospel? Are you clear on the difference? The whole Bible is the story of God's overwhelming love and grace to sinners like you and like me. No place for self-righteous, judgmental, high and mighty, unforgiving older brothers. But, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Those kind of folks. If you're on a religious treadmill, could I strongly urge you to get off that treadmill today, this moment, forever, and receive the accepting grace of God in your life? If you see God as a harsh, demanding boss, repent. Oh, God, forgive me. You have no reason to see him that way in light of the cross. And friends, I'd be guilty of that. Um, We've sang, we sang earlier some songs. We sang that God 
is good. It's good. It's good. Some of you believe that. Some of you, just words, but your heart is far from God. Friends, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of Jesus Christ telling you and me, this is what God's like. And He is full of tender love, even for Pharisees. He is slow to anger. He is overwhelming in compassion. He welcomes back anyone who will come home. This is your God. Friends, for the rest of your life, by God's grace, decide this is the God I'm going to believe in. The God and Father of Jesus. Stand with me, please. Friends, I've got way too much older brother in me. And maybe you do too. And maybe we just need to take a few moments of silent prayer and just bring that to God and ask God to change us. Lord, forgive me for so much religious performance, for so much unbelief in your love and grace. Lord God, give me grace, give us grace to get off completely the religious treadmill and receive your love for us. Lord, my deep prayer for Wood's Edge is that we'd be a people so in love with Jesus that we couldn't keep it from spilling over with each other and the precious people around us and throughout the world. Fill us with your love, we pray.